Regina, this week we are going to talk about Pantser versus Plotter. And this was a listener asked you maybe if we could talk about this. Do you know who that was? Yes, Andrew Lyle. Okay. He's a friend of mine who has contributed to the zine. He's done a couple of articles, or at least one. All right. So trying to remember. uh, Why don't you explain what a pantser is? Okay. Well, I I wasn't even aware of of these terms until I started going online and looking for videos and, and blogs about writing. But apparently the pantser comes from writing by the seat of your pants. And then plotter is pretty self-explanatory of writing out a plot or even a loose outline or involved outline before you write your novel. So those, or short story, whatever, those are the two categories. Yes. And the idea is that writers usually fall into one or the other or maybe a bit of both. Do you, do you have a place you fall into? I believe I definitely started as a plotter, and that's probably because I transitioned from screenwriter to novelist about 10 years ago, and I used my screenplay as the outline for my novel. So I haven't written everything like that, but Screenwriting and, and what I learned about that technique is really all about plotting and outlining. Yeah, if if any of the listeners have never researched screenwriting, and it's it's kind of strange to me, but it has really specific rules about what should happen on certain pages. Yep. Uh, and when you know certain uh, moments in the film should happen by page X, it, this should have happened, and by this page, this should have happened. That does feel limiting as a writer, I think. Mm-hmm. But it also feels like a safety net at the same time where it's like, I know I have to be here. And right. I think this well, is the trouble we have as writers is we want to be free. But then being free brings along with it a lot of complications. And maybe you can talk more about that. Well, I think that there are are different sides to to it. And uh, we, we can talk about I mean, it. I think it's a fascinating subject. And I think you sh- a writer probably should be aware of these things. Um, interestingly, and I, I don't know if you participated, but I put a poll up about this very topic on my YouTube community page. And I took a poll that uh, asking any authors out there to respond whether they're a plotter, a pantser, or a little bit of both. Would you like to hear what the results are so I would far? love to hear. I would love to hear it. Okay. There are only 32 votes, so that's not a, a very wide sample, but <laughs> let's take a look. So if, uh, let's have maybe you guess just to play a little game. Okay. About, okay. I would say... Like divided three ways. Yeah, I'm going to say it's probably even 30% each way. 30, 30, 30, or 33 each. Okay, I was a little, no, that's not quite right, but I was a little surprised at the result. Okay. So here at this point, now they can change. I'm, I'm going to leave this up for a while. Plotter got 34% mm-hmm. of the votes. Panser got only 16%. Mm. And a little bit of both got 50. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um. So... So yeah, there were a lot more plotters than I expected. And I think that, uh, like I said, that from my point of view, I started plotting as a plotter and I still kind of write that way. Although I have to say, as I've gotten, I've written more books and gotten more confident, I've let go of some of that and, and write more as a pantser. But I think that the plot points are always kind of in the back of my mind, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think we, we didn't talk about this before, but I know we brought up a similar subject where after you get skilled in an art, certain things become second nature and you're doing it behind the scenes. Your subconscious is doing it. And I think that's along the lines of going from a plotter to a pantser. It may feel as if you're now doing it by the seat of your pants, but you've done it enough 
in the plot area that that sort of, like you said, is in the back of your mind. So it's running on autopilot as you're pantsing, if that makes sense. Yes, I think that totally makes sense. And especially if you're writing in a classic sense where you're writing scenes in a novel, the way you would write scenes in a screenplay. I'll give you an example. When I took um, Robert McKee's seminar on horror a couple of years ago, which was great. I, I was so happy I got a chance to do that in New York. Spent the whole day in this little room and he would, uh, he would find people $20 if their phones went off. He was, uh, he was very old him. school. Yeah, I know. That's, um, that's um, the Alamo draft house in Austin, Texas. If you have something like that, you're literally kicked out and they don't have like, they have a zero tolerance policy for phones. I think that's wonderful. I wish everyone did. Exactly. House. So one thing that I, I mean, I learned a lot during that day and I also read his book uh, story Several times over, I have an entire playlist on my YouTube channel devoted to one chapter each. It took me years to finish this playlist. So I do know a little bit about the subject. Um, but he he had a piece of advice that really stuck with me. And he was talking about like like electrical charges. Like if you look at each scene, and, and this is very specific. Uh, if you start your scene in a positive charge, you want to end it on a negative. And then the opposite for the next scene, start on a negative, end on a positive. You see how, see what I'm doing there? Yeah, I've heard this said in a different way, but um, I okay. know exactly what you mean. So if you, and that's what keeps the story kind of rolling. So, so for example, if you start on a positive, like, uh, a, you know, a, you see a guy with a flowers in his hands he's going to meet his girlfriend and that's you know they're going to meet somewhere and then he wanders into a, a park and he sees his girlfriend kissing another guy so we start with a positive we end with a negative you know that and then can i uh you go from there. interject a scene yes from what do you think the scene's from <laughs> oh a, a jaws yes okay. okay best example is in the scene jaws when mm -hmm. the they capture a shark and ah. the entire city is there, or the town, island. The entire Amity Island's there. The press is there. They have the picture. They're going to take it. Everybody is having the best time. They caught the shark. That scene ends with Mrs. Kittner walking up to Sheriff Brody and basically in tears. The whole place is dead silent, and she slaps him and says, you knew there was a shark, and you let people swim anyway. What an amazing emotional roller coaster that one scene is, and it's exactly what you're using uh, from what McKee said. That is an excellent example, much better than my example. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that came to mind because I that, love that scene because of that. It is a great scene. And you can see how in that scene uh, – uh, what's his name? Uh, right, righteous, righteous Jolly. Righteous uh, Jolly. Yeah, <laughs> I got to get his autograph. He's I the only one I haven't gotten yet. Richard Dreyfuss. I just kind of like <laughs> said Righteous Jolly instead of Richard Dreyfuss. Uh, righteous. What's his name? What's his Richard Dreyfuss. I know, but what is his character's name? In oh, movie? Hooper. Hooper. How could I forget? You know how Hooper's trying to like, yeah, it's a big shark, but this is not the, that doesn't have the bite marks. Like he's being technical and the mayor's like, what are you talking about? Yep. It's, it is. That is a great scene. And, and a perfect example to continue with your, your advice, the next scene begins on a, a, a down note. We have Sheriff Brody completely depressed drinking wine in his, right. uh, his kitchen or in the dining room. And that scene ends with them. We're going to go open, cut the shark open. He's like, can you do that? I can do anything. I'm the chief of police. You know, it ends with yeah, that he get, fun. He gets, his, he gets his mojo back. Yes. What what great advice from McKee. Yeah. It's it's great advice. And if you really think about it, I, I think some writers feel that this kind of stuff is is damaging to their creativity. And and I can kind of understand where that's coming from. Like I don't want to be bogged down by thinking if this scene is a positive or a negative. I just want to write. I just want to create. And I think that that is also an approach. You know, there's no uh reason why. You can't write like that. But if you want to write something that like Jaws, that has becomes a classic and makes people come back more and more, uh, you might want to think about these 
rules. They're, it's good advice, but you don't want to be, I guess, uh, too tied into it or too uh, formulaic about it because that yeah. will also go in your writing. I think when it comes to art, what people have done is they've seen what has worked in the past and they've in, they've analyzed it and come up with these, hey, this seems to be a pattern that we've seen throughout history in all art and it seems to work. It's mm-hmm. And like you're saying, that if you just go with that part of it, you'll miss the artist part of it. These are tent poles. These are just places to kind of say, here's where I'm headed. If you're on a, on a journey or on a trip, you can choose whatever vehicle you want, you know, take whatever route to that place you want. Right. I could say, I'm going to go to Philadelphia. There's a hundred thousand different roads I can take to get to Philadelphia. Right. It doesn't, everybody's going to have their different approach. They're different vehicles. They're different stuff. They bring along with them. You could take a helicopter. Yeah, you, yeah. you could take a boat if you wanted to. You go down to Delaware. That's true. I believe that it will happen when, like, let's say you start writing and you're not, you're going to be a pantser. I think what you're going to do is learn a very long, hard way how to do it as a plotter. I, I don't know if I'm making sense, but. Yeah, like, well, like, I mean, I, I prefer a good plot. I really do. Like my, my favorite type of book to read is a quick, uh, economical read. That's so tight. Like, uh, like Ira Levin, you know, this is my favorite type of book to read. And, but I still read things like Anne Rice, which, and because she writes beautifully, I love her characters, but she doesn't plot. And it's really obvious. And it becomes frustrating sometimes when, her books just meander and they don't really seem to go anywhere. Same with Stephen King. I'm, I'm reading, rereading the gunslinger right now for my book club. I'm not a fan of that series, but I'm it's... not either. And I read it, you know, I read this once before I'm listening to the audiobook on like double time because I just like, it's not even long, but I'm like, this is just one long scene. You know, like these long scenes that just go on and on forever. And I don't understand like what, what is happening and like, or why should I care? Yeah. You know, like I was watching, um, I mean, I love Jaws too. I think it's great. And one of my favorite, you mean Jaws movies, also? Also? Yes. Not Jaws too. Definitely not. <laughs> I Jaws do like three. Jaws too, Jaws but three. it's, di- it's a different type of movie. It's a different type of movie, but, um, but I was watching the original Westworld mm-hmm. with Bill Brenner yep. the other night, Michael Crichton, like that, like those are the types of stories I love. Like that, Coma, he also directed. I don't know if he wrote the book. I think that was uh, someone else. But, or or Terminator. These are very plotted stories. Those those are the ones that, and they have depth. You know, it's not, not just because it's a blockbuster. Still, you know, they're entertaining, great characters, great stories. But I also enjoy a, a moody French movie that doesn't really have a plot that's just atmosphere. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, my point is, you can write whatever. You'll find an audience if, if what you're doing is is good. If you're if you really work hard at it, I believe. And you don't have to plot, and you don't have to pants. <laughs> it's up to you. So I you started a little bit of both. I would say I started seat of pants, and uh, here's my problem with it. It is definitely sit down. You just write. You're going by the seat of your pants. I feel like. When it comes to doing both, you're going to end up doing more work later with revision when it comes to being mm-hmm. a seat of the pants person. Because eventually, let's say you write something by the seat of the pants, you got this first draft down, which I think most fa- first drafts anyway are sort of mostly pantser. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing because that's when you're being very creative. Right. And then I think when you go to revise, you got to think about plot. Right. You can't just be like, okay, I wrote a first draft, it's done and it's pure and I'm not going to touch it. Like, you got to be like, okay, here's my character. And I found when I would do by the seat of my pants, I would be throwing away 30, 40, 50 pages because I would get almost halfway through 
and realize a better place to be. And right. none of it makes sense that I wrote up until that point. Cause now I'm like, okay, now I understand it even better, but now I have to throw away a ton of stuff because it took me a long time to get there. And some yeah. people enjoy that. I can't, I don't enjoy that because I find like it's a super waste of time, even though it's not, it is to me. Yeah. Yeah. I hear what you're saying because you can write yourself into a corner. Mm-hmm. Or you like, could write oh, yourself into a better story and then realize what? that I have to start over because this is so much better. And all the stuff I wrote was crap at this point. Well, that's that what I would say is the positive thing about pantsing. Yes. And I know I sent you that video with uh, Dean Wesley Smith. Dean Wesley Smith. I don't know who he is, but he is a little pretentious because he's like, oh, this is the way George works. Oh, I'm speaking of George Martin, my friend. (laughs) Yeah, I noticed that. I'm like, fuck you. But uh, I I, I agree. Dean, if you're listening, we we don't mean it. (laughs) We don't mean it poorly. Um, But... I love yeah. how you think that people, these people are listening. Because uh, what was the other week? You're like, hey, if uh, Jared Leto, uh, if you're listening, <laughs> I hope these guys are listening. But you never know, James. Mm. You got to think big. Brad Pitt, how you doing? Just wanted to say hi. Hey, Brad, we love you. <laughs> um, but I think he makes a good point in his video about the the creative process, writing with a creative brain versus getting locked into a pre-plan that might not be any good or just really formulaic. And when you find during the process, like you were saying that you came up with something better, go with that, you know, that that's part of the discovery process. Like I, I do think I, I'll tell you one thing I, I do try to do. And I, is I, I kind of know, like when I start a book, I kind of have a, an idea of the beginning, middle and the end, just, you know, basic, Point, those three points and yep. I just try to write to that middle and then write to that end and then in between is a discovery process but but I know that all that stuff from the McKee book really got drummed into me so I think that is part of my unconscious because it, even after the first draft when I go back and then say I'm just curious what is going on halfway and like at the halfway point in my draft and damn if there isn't like a major turnaround at that halfway point or at the pinch point or whatever, the three quarters, uh, the climax, all that stuff. It's already built in there, hopefully. And then you can play within it. It doesn't always mean it's good, but at least it's there. But you also don't want to have a plot that is so uh, recognizable from the first page that the, the reader is like, Oh, I know where this is going. Why bother? I will put the link to the video so everyone can watch it as well. Cause it's a good video. Yeah. I, everybody's a pantser, even when you're plotting because you're pantsing the plot, like, or the outline. When you sit down, you have nothing. You are at zero. In order for you to get an outline, you need to pants the outline. You need to basically. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm like you have to sit there and be like, okay, what's my beginning? What's my? You're you're coming up with that out of thin air. And those, to me, I I think that people have this negative thing about, oh, you're being not you're you're not you're being you're setting up guideposts of your own doing. These are not. And yes, you could say, well, the pinch point and all that stuff. But again, I believe that stuff eventually will come naturally. I yeah. I feel like I think our listeners if you're curious this is not something you want to find out in a novel. Find out what you like doing in a short story. So pants a short story yeah. and then plot a, a short story and see what works for you and you'll probably find that both do. Like I think that's why that that 50 some percent is pants and plot. Mhm. Yeah. And I actually think doing a little bit of both is is a good good way of doing it. I know, like I, I took that. I might have mentioned it. I took a uh, that online masterclass with James Patterson, mm-hmm. and I have not read a lot of James Patterson. I think I read only like two of his books, and it's really not my style. But I've like had the biggest crush on him by the end of that. Like he was so engaging. I took a few of those masterclass. Are we talking about the official masterclass? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's like a year you can get it. It's pretty cheap. I'm I'm watching Joyce Carol Oates right now. Oh, okay. How's that? I'm crushing on her almost because she is. (laughs) She is just. It is good. She has such wisdom. 
And I love her. She'll just be like, look, it's very simple. There's one rule. Don't be boring. <laughs> exactly. Right. She's I, like, I think that is the best rule you can come up with and, yep. and, and, and follow. I think uh, there's a, was it, who did um, Capri, the, the film director has a similar, I think he has a, a, a similar sentence. There's every, every sin is forgivable except boredom. Yeah. like that. Yeah. And that's kind of one of her things. And she has a, uh, she's a prolific writer. She is. She is, uh, and I guess she's been in Jersey because everything she writes is in Jersey. She taught at Princeton. Oh, okay. I guess she cool. recently stopped, but she was teaching creative writing at Princeton. Oh, wow. But I think when it comes to pantsing and plotting, if you do it in a short story, you're not you're not committing to a long, and I would say this is true, even if you never wrote a novel, try short stories or even screenplays because they are pretty quick for you to... Uh, to get through and then rewrite. Mm-hmm. But I do yeah. feel like I, I wasted a, I, so you're right. Like if you're pantsing and you come up with a better story, that's a great thing. But for me, I think it's more the way my brain works that I feel overwhelmed that now I know I have a great idea and I have to start from scratch again, basically. Yeah. That hurts. So, there's a book. I don't know if you've read it. Bird by Bird. No. Really? No. Sorry. Some instructions on writing in life. You should read it. You would love it. But bird it's by Bird. Okay. Bird by I, Bird. I, okay. I'll, I'll write it down. Yeah. It's by Anne Lamott. And in it, she talks about someone who came up with this. Um, and I'm going to see if you've heard of this before. It's a type of outlining, but it's very, very, very basic. It's called the ABDCE structure. And okay. the re- so, yeah, A is action. So you want to just jump into the story, right? Then we go to the background. What happened before that, right? Then development. That's what D is. You develop mm. the section where your story really starts to take shape. Then your climax and then the ending. I used to be a reader for a, uh, I won't name what it is. It didn't pay very well for the work that I had to do, but uh, for a screenplay comp- competition. Mm-hmm. And I was one of many. And you, you and then they you know, you, you rate it. And I, then I guess they take the higher rating ones and look at them more carefully and, and kind of come up with a judgment. But there was like a, a rubric that we had to go through to check. But one thing that used to drive me crazy would be these screenplays that, and, and I've seen it in novels too, would begin with this big chase scene of like, you know, some like monster, let's say, or something chasing character. Okay been done before i've seen it many times but then it would never like get into the characters you know what i'm saying like just they would be very like okay now we're like why do i care that this person is almost is being chased is almost being killed you can start with that but then now give me some meat on the bones Mm -hmm. there was a lot of that like and i mentioned this before it's one of my pet peeves i guess is just under i'd rather have developed characters and a bad plot than shallow characters and this like nonstop action, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's my issue with a lot of modern filmmaking and television is, and this is mainly Disney because they have Marvel and Star Wars and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the earlier Marvel movies did create character and you had Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr. doing an amazing job at that. And then eventually got more into the action and less into the characters. And mm-hmm. that, that became boring for me. Yeah. And why do you think that's boring? We talk about what, what, because McKee talked about this a lot. Why do we get bored when well, we watch movie? Or my movie guess would be that we no longer, the stakes are either not high enough or there's not enough care in the person. The problem, I, I'll tell you what it is, is when you have something like Marvel, where we have, very successful films in the beginning, they've created characters we care about and they've created high stakes for those characters. But in later films, they start out assuming we already care. We already know these characters, so we don't have to devote any time into or invest anything in character development anymore. Mm. And I think that's a failure. I think, yeah, yeah, sure. I know who Tony Stark is. I know who Iron Man is. And you're going to start out with me just knowing that 
and I'm supposed to care immediately. And I think every project needs to go back to that and say, yeah, make me care again. Don't, don't they, doesn't the character change? Hasn't their, how, yeah. their circumstances changed? And Yeah, instead they're just like, here's Iron Man and here's a problem. And right. it's like, no, you got to go back and make me care again. And I think a lot of these films, what, what I find boring, they seem to be written by a committee. That's true. And I do think that the best stuff comes from like one mind. That's, maybe, you know what? Maybe let's, let's table that for that's another episode yeah. because I, I would debate if that's true. Oh, okay. We can debate it. Yeah, because I mean, I think you're right in some aspects. And then sometimes I think that a table of people could improve. I think it's very interesting. I think we can kind of tell, uh, like I said, I'm reading the gunslinger now, listening to the audiobook, and there's really not a much of a plot. Now there's a lot of atmosphere and I'm like, I marvel at Stephen King's descriptions and characterization, but I don't really know what's going on or what, what the goals are really. And it, to me, that's boring. No offense, Stephen King, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, you never know james Come i on. know i know it's big. uh i find that boring and i know i'm not alone in that i, I th- also find boring a, a book that i know what's going to happen yeah because it's so formulaic so with the a b d c e formula i'll say how with the story i'm currently writing i used this because i was like wow that's really cool and i knew the story had to be like maybe 5,000 words. At Wait, is this for your, um, I didn't mean to interrupt, but what are you submitting this for? I'm not telling you yet. Oh, okay. I, I'm going to submit it in a couple of days and then I'll tell you. Okay, cool. Um, but I was like, okay, if it's 5,000 words and there are five points, each section could be a thousand words. So I started with just breaking it up into action, background development, climax and ending. So I kind of knew the intro, which was the action. The background took is taking probably took the longest. I had like an idea. So this is where the pantser part came in, where it's like, I'm just going to pants this in this order uh, and then develop it. And then I know the climax. I kind of knew how that was going to happen and then wrap it up. And so mm-hmm. I did this really rough draft in that formula like a b you know and did a, a pantser like that's literally the only way i could do it is by pantsing it because it's not in my head and, and so the characters or my second draft and going in and i'm like oh wait a minute this i'll make it this character this and now that gave me more ideas for the background and then i went in and flushed out the background more which then mm-hmm. helped uh t- talk about the ending more and then it, I'll like, oh, I'll go back and add more action to the beginning. So it was, it's not like to me, the way I work is jumping all over. I'm going and I'm developing a part, which then influences another part. And then I'll go develop that, which influences another part. So I'm never doing it from chronologically. Right. That actually sounds like a really good process. Yeah. I, the, I would say the pantser, obviously the first draft is a pantser chronological. Here's from beginning to end. And it's really crappy. And it's really like, I'm not really happy with this. So then I'll read it and I'll be like, hmm. And then something clicks. I don't know where those yeah. ideas come from. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually very happy with it, whether it gets accepted or not. I, I am having so much fun with it. Well, that's, that's important, and that's I think that's what's the most important thing is, and I can't wait to find out more about this, James, but I'll wait. Uh, sounds like you're very uh, inspired and motivated, so that's cool. Again, if you're listening, for me, I find it easier to do this with a short story. This, and, and Regina, you can talk to novels. I mean, that, you. speaking of, I just finished the first part of the first chapter of uh, Carney. And uh, oh, very, very fun. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, it's very exciting, that opening. It takes me right back to 19, what was it, 28 or something? I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah, I, uh, so I did kind of start with some action. You did. You absolutely started with action. You gave us this question, which we want answered, is who is Carney? And why is this happening to this this character? And becoming you know him just destroying all this stuff and and then jumping to the future present day 
which I, I haven't started yet, but I, I love the opening. It made me um, really interested to continue. It was definitely action packed. It was very much. Um, I love when I think about a book and I don't, I don't, I can't think of much except for, I feel like I was there on the Island, you know, visually it was very, oh, good. very good. Um, well, thank you. I'm glad. Yeah. And so, but you can speak to that, what it took a year at least to write that. Yeah, but I I mean I started over a year ago. I this was a book that I I made the mistake of writing the like half of it and then shelving it and working on something else and then getting back to it was hard. So I I, I don't recommend doing that. But when you wrote half of I it, was that a plot things. or did you Oh, good question. Um, you know what? I a lot of this a lot of this book was more pantsing. <laughs> confessing now uh yeah and why see I if you said if you said head, it was though. plot though you would be like i'm not confessing it's as if one feels guilty and the other doesn't and shouldn't be that way that's a good point that is a good point i think that i think the more that again like you were saying this stuff does kind of become second nature when you get it down so i I'm sure it, I did plot it in my head, but I didn't write down an outline, I guess. Yeah. So let's just talk about art in general. If, mm-hmm. if you're a musician, and I know this, you're not going to plot a song when you're starting out because you don't know. You know maybe I need a verse, a chorus, a bridge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when you start out, you're going to be like, okay, I need a note or a chord. And then how do I get to that next chord? But eventually after you write enough songs, there's something in your head. That's like, I know where to go next. Right. And you don't think like, Hmm, where should I, you know, you're writing this and especially with melodies, you'll hear it. And then you'll be like, okay, I've done this a million times where I'm writing a melody or singing it. And I know exactly where that next part, that next chorus or bridge will come. And then I just Mm -hmm. figure out that chord that it's under that melody. That is, is only from doing a, writing a lot of songs. Yes. Which, Same, is, okay. which goes back to why you need to practice. That's another thing Dean Wesley Smith, and I think we talked about before, he has a whole thing, a video about thinking of writing as practicing. You know, like you practice the piano, you practice guitar, and writing is a practice and, and, and have a little, be, be freer with it. I think that that, he, his whole video is about he's a pantser. Yes. He was saying that most, most professional writers who are prolific are pantsers. And that is also an interesting thing, considering our my poll that only 16% are saying they're pantsers. Because I think he's right and he's wrong. I think that most professional writers write so often as a practice that it becomes natural for it to feel like pantsing, but it's really, they have all the other stuff subconsciously happening as they're pantsing. Right. I do think that's true. Because and I think I, my writing's getting more like that as I've written yes. more books. I've let go of the, 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 the fear that I have to write an outline. Right. And I think an outline's not it's something to be safe. <laughs> it's, yeah. Outline's not something to be afraid of. It's something that it's no. your training wheels. You, and It's a tool. It's, that's all it is. It's yeah. And I think that the problem is what you brought up earlier about music and practicing the piano. For some reason, we feel that's not applied to writing people. Mm, and I guess right. it's because we've been taught since children how to write that we think we should be able to sit down and write a story and... If you can't, there's something wrong with you. And it's like, you can't. You can't just sit down and write a story and be like, look, it's perfect. As a, that, But okay. you would never do that with guitar. You would never pick up the guitar and, and think, I'm writing Stairway to Heaven. But right. but everybody else thinks they should be able to sit down and write a novel. Yeah, and, like, and, and, you don't, and it should be perfect the first time, and you don't have to go back and work on it. it it's just silly. Well, David Mamet said in his... In his interview with Bill Maher, uh, the same thing Dean Wesley Smith said. I, oh, it's writing is just making making shit up. And Bill Maher was like, ah, come on. We know it's more than that. He's like, no, just making, making stuff up. And obviously, he's a highly skilled expert 
writer, so he can just make stuff up. But I think. Yeah, that's simplifying it. it. it it's, a, it's simplifying it. It's true, but it's also. If you just write something like I remember, I was uh, remember I had a couple of writing workshops at my studio. Yes. Ago. It was a one. I won't mention names. But it wasn't bad, but someone brought in like a lot of written material, kind of like what you were saying, that it was, I would say it's like a pre-write, a lot of material about something, but there, there was no plot. Or there, there were, it's like, well, where's this, like, where's the con? I remember saying to this uh, person, like, I don't, I'm not finding what the conflict is. And he kind of gave me a blank look uh, because those are basic concepts, you know, they said, you know, you want to have a, a protagonist who has a problem. They got to, they're trying to solve the problem. Something's keeping them from solving the problem. This, these are just very basic uh, lessons in, in drama and, and storytelling. But if you just come in with a lot of meandering scene, or you know what I'm saying? They're not even scenes. It's like, well, this are like episodic things. Like, well, this, this happened. And, you know, this guy went to visit his old high school. Okay, well, that's an interesting idea. I'm not saying this is what the guy wrote about. That's interesting. Where's the conflict? Does he run into his old girlfriend? She's married. You know, uh, this is, I'm already thinking about where the tension is in the scene. But I think if you're just dancing and just kind of describing a meandering story, at some point you're going to have to tap into those to that structure that's what i'm trying to say eventually you're gonna even if you're pantsing you're gonna have to find a conflict well that's what i was saying earlier like you always are going to start pantsing but once you go back to revise you are then trying to put in the things that need to be in there to make it enticing here's you know here's a good example i think if you're a writer find another art a total different medium to learn because Mm -hmm you will see that you would have different expectations on your progress as a fine artist than you think you should have as a writer. And I want to know why you think that. So here's a good example. You and I can both draw, right? Right. But I know that when I started drawing heads and faces, I focused on here's the circle and then here's the line with the eye line. Here's where the nose lays. Here's where the mouth. Here's where the ears go. And when you first do that, you use these lines. But if you draw heads enough, eventually, and this is a weird thing that you won't know unless you do it, those lines are on there before you even put your pencil to the paper. You're seeing it. Right. That's a good good analogy. Your mind's eye is seeing it. So you don't have to do all that pre stuff Mm -hmm. for whatever weird reason. And it's like, it's very magical, but when you're, you're drawing, you're skipping many steps that you've used to have to take. Mm -hmm. And now you're right to the, the shape of the head with the nose without any of that stuff. And if, if you don't believe me, go to a comic convention and watch these artists in the artist alley, create sketches for people who pay them and it's just, they, oh, wow, that's cool. they just sit there and they draw and that you'll see that they're starting. You'll be like, how did they get there that quick? Cause mm-hmm. they've done it a million times. And that's what right. you're doing, Regina. Now with your stories is I've been there where I've been writing this and this and this and this, and I've read all these books. And now I'm like writing as a pantser and you're not seeing that work that you used to do because it's now second nature and it just comes out quicker and no one can see it. And that's, that's why yeah. I'm suggesting find a different art form and you'll notice because they, it applies to every art. Yeah, I agree. And for some reason writing, because, I guess because it doesn't require a lot of tools the way other art, you know, you have to have supplies if you're an artist, like a fine artist. Well, it's funny if you're a musician. One of my favorite books was All I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten by Robert Fulgham. Mm -hmm. I've heard of that, but I've never read it. It's a good book. And one of these things he says, you know, as a writer, I go and I speak at schools. I'll speak at kindergartens and I speak at uh, colleges. 
And he says, when I go to his kindergarten, I say, hey, how many people can draw me a picture? And every one of the kids raise their hands. They'll draw a picture. How many can tell me a story? They'll raise their hands. They'll tell you a story. They will do whatever it is. But at some point, he says, now when I go to colleges, I'm like, who can write me a story? He says, the literate, you know, the um, writing majors raise their hands. Who can draw oh, a, a, yeah. the, the art majors raise their hands? At some point between kindergarten and college, we're told we can only be good at one. Yeah, that's a damn shame, isn't it? It is. It is. And for some reason, when it comes to writing, I think that happens in the school where you have a teacher walk over and like, oh, you're, you know, writing for school is not the same as being a fiction writer. No, not at all. And you're not going to, like, if you had a bad teacher or a bad ex- uh, experience in school, don't let that be the reason why you are feeling I'm not good enough. No, I mean, you definitely need to know basic grammar because it, it does help. But it really does even, help. and that's, I'm telling you today, I have Grammarly, and to me, yeah, Grammarly. I use it. Yeah, I think because honestly, if you were if before the internet, you would have wrote something and handed it to somebody who was good at grammar, and they would help you correct that. Um, I remember writing in college, writing a story, and it was, it was kind of funny because this girl's like, "Oh, I can you know edit that for you," and she was like a writer, and she edited, it and I was like, we sat and we worked together, and it was like so much better. And I'm like, that's great. You know, she helped me with the grammar and some of the words and things. And my friend Anthony was upset because he liked that girl. And he was like, <laughs> <"Geez."> uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. he was not, uh-oh, but it was, he was upset. He's like, oh, she's helping you. You know, I'm like, I didn't, well, it's, and yeah, I didn't, I, mean, I was not interested in her. I was just, we were friends, but. And I'll tell you how I, I mean, it's a different topic, but I'll use Grammarly. If I, if I have a, like a complex paragraph where I am maybe using a different tense kind of going back into like a uh, like long complex sentences let's put it that way I will I, I don't I've never used my, put my entire book in Grammarly I think that would be horrible but I mean it'd be horrible to just deal with that but I'll take one paragraph that I'm like yeah I don't know I'm a I my 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 sentences are my they're getting a little long a little too complex I'll put it in Grammarly and that helps clean it up yeah and that's, it, that can be very or like Maybe this one sentence is way too long. It's breaking it up into three sentences. Okay, that's better. See, I don't have so, to go. I don't know. Maybe you have a different thing of mine. My Grammarly works in all my writing software. So as I'm writing in Scrivener, oh. it's it's underlining and doing all that stuff that it normally does. So it goes. And this, I'll, I'll talk about Panzer versus Plotter. This Wow, make, I, don't, I didn't know I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> I just cut the pace. I don't ever do. I never go into Grammarly. It's literally there. I'll have to talk, like look at your computer or something, see what's going on. But I love that yeah, feature I've, because mm-hmm. as a pantser, the one thing that always scared me was I knew I was going to have to go back and find all the missing commas or, yeah. you know, I made a, a capital letter here by accident. This is great. I just love doing the pants work because I'm sitting there going, I'm not worried about any of the grammar mistakes because hmm. it's, it's catching them all. It's not, it's not distracting though. Not at all. No, not to me. It, it, sometimes okay. it's like, huh, I wonder what that wants me to look at. Little bit, but not really because I know when I'm just sitting and I'm writing, I can come back to that. I don't, I don't need to worry about it. It's just, I'm writing and I'm writing and I'm writing. And then once I feel like, all right, I'm done this writing sprint, I'm going to go back and look at it. Mm-hmm. But it's, I feel a great tool for a pantser because again, my fear is always like, I, this is not just me with writing. I have this weird relationship with time that if I feel like I wasted time, I beat myself up. Like, cause oh. I know, like, let's say. That's because um, you work a lot and you're very busy. I guess, but it, it's just all the time. Like, it's like if I drive somewhere and I realize like that wasn't where I was supposed to go, I'm like, I, that whole trip was a waste of time. I, well, I'm just the opposite. I'm like, oh, I really enjoyed that distraction. <laughs> <laughs> now, me, I want to have it like I'm working on but this. I don't have five kids, James. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's it. I don't remember how I was before kids, but um, yeah. I but I definitely think that you, I, you know, I honestly, that's my 
if anybody wants to argue, by the way, mm-hmm. I do have, I'm going to put it in show notes. I think it might already be there, but I have a, a newsletter that I do. I'm going to be doing one today and in a newsletter, you can, newsletter. yeah, it's coming out. It should be today. Um, there's a, where, a place you can leave a comment. So if you have any thoughts about this or want us to talk about anything, uh, go to my newsletter. It's just jamesiblity.substack.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, but that's pretty much the only thing I'm using now when it comes to my output of talking about what we're doing. And, and it's always going to have something about bookworms. I, I put stuff about Carney on there. That's great. Um, Thank you. I, I, I noticed in the, because I do read your newsletter. I noticed in the last one, you said it was inspired by a book you read. What was the book about well, how to oh. like get, just do like one, like, I don't know, get rid of some of yep. your too many social media platforms. Or it's something. called Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Mm-hmm. It's, this is where we're at as a culture. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> well, it's going to be a new movement, I think. What well, already I, is a movement. It has to be. Um, there, um, I lean a lot toward that. I, I'm happy... That bookworms zine is a physical thing mm-hmm. that you cannot get as a digital thing. That we're, if there's one little thing you and I are doing in this world to better it, it's to get certain people to, to for even if it's 10 minutes away from their devices and reading right. something physical in their hands in the real world. Yes. And that's that's a wonderful thing we're giving people. And <laughs> it is a public service. Yeah, definitely. it is. It is. And I'm very happy that that's something we're doing. And also... And I love it. that Every month, whenever we put a zine out, there's always this one person who sends in, clips the coupon, and mails it in. Yeah, that's your favorite thing. I love when you uh, get excited <laughs> I, over that. I know. I get so excited about that. It's kind of like being a kid again and getting that... Thing in the mail from when you would clip out the, you know the archie comic and send away for the archie digest and it would take you know six months to get there yeah there was that, when i was a kid there was um you could cut the back of the star wars figures and you'd like send in three proof of purchase and then they would send uh, you an yes. action figure those action figures should, are probably worth should, the most now because they were maybe we should do oh yeah that that's probably you're right yeah uh, but i was thinking maybe we should do like a proof of purchase for the zine in the future zines and so, you know, like it'd be like green stamps. Remember green stamps? I'm really dating myself now. Did your mom have green stamps? I don't know. I know what they are, but I think that's before <laughs> my time. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, you would, it was a very, it was very big in the sixties, but yeah, I wasn't born would, in the sixties. I know. Don't rub it in. Yeah. But, but I mean, I'm still old. I'm surrounded true. by young people and they think I'm old. I know, but you're 10 years younger than me. I know, but the, but I'm like 40 years older than the kids I work with. So they're always like, what was it like in the 40s, James? I'm like, oh, boy. Yeah, did you fight in Vietnam? Yeah, I've gotten that. You were a hippie, weren't you? And I'm like, no, I was a child during yeah. those years. But anyway, uh, but proof of purchase. So anyway, we put that on there. And then a proof of purchase and then mail in and and you get some kind of freebie. Yeah, we'll have to come up with something. Prize. That's a good idea. So people who t- take the time, and that's part of what bookworms is our philosophy, is taking the time to, you know, clip the coupon. Or if you're going to submit a story, it's amazing how few stories I've received now that we've switched to only mail-in submissions. It's made my life a lot easier to to read them, yeah. to go through them. But it, we've gone from over 600 submissions, digital submissions for the first issue to maybe 60. So that's quite a drop. Yeah. I uh, listening to some podcast of, of, of a, this pagan guy I listened to, just for research, not, you know. I, you I were very apologetic. Of- There's nothing wrong with being a pagan. No, I know. I'm just saying. Like, Unless I'm you're talking about safe. the biker gang. No, no. Uh, but he was talking about how each creative act is a magical act. And I love that idea. It's like you have an idea in your head and then you create it and presto changeo, it's there in its physical form, like the zine, like a book, that uh, actual book that you can make where before it wasn't there now because of your magic spell and your 
effort and creativity, it exists. Yeah. And I think that's incredible if you really think about it. And it, it's something that is sacred and we should treat it that way. So everyone, anyone who takes the time to mail a submission, I actually take the time. I just want them to know. And I, and then I, I, I share them with you as well. Uh, I take the time and sit there, put a light on, put my glasses on and read it. Like it has my complete attention. I, I'm not distracted because I'm trying to read a PDF on my computer screen. And then I get a notification from Facebook or something dinging in, in the corner of my screen, or I put something else on, you know, I'm really giving it that attention. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that that's where growth happens. I think we need to slow down. I, I, I agree that, and this is coming from someone who's lived and I know you do too, the pre-digital age, the digital age is great. I love it. But there were some things that we want to conserve from pre-digital. And I think attention and focus is definitely one of them. No, it's it's actually scientific. There are so many studies now that reveal the damage that is happening to people because of the digital age. And like I said, it's not it's not something I use all this digital stuff, but you, there's got to be other things from before the digital age that are, have to be sacred because we're hurting our brains. There's another book if you want, besides digital minimalism, it's called Indistractable. Uh, mm. Yep. And that's another great book to talk about all the benefits of getting away from your screens and just doing things um, in the yeah, real like world. Listening to this podcast, you, you, you are connected, but you could be listening and going for a walk, which a lot of us do when we listen to podcasts. I guess this is in Digital Minimalism, the book, but they talk about listening to vinyl records. And mm. I think there's a reason why a lot of the younger generation are doing this because I will tell you, having a subscription to Apple Music, I can listen to any song I want in any way I want, as long, you know, but right. it's not magical. Grabbing my mm-hmm. vinyl record that I'm choosing to listen to and putting it on. It's a ritual one. And you you actually have a Gemini Rising, that Thanksgiving episode that you did. Yes. And I know you just recently posted it. I did. I for Thanksgiving. That really does capture the the religion and ritual of getting a new album and everyone having a party. Why don't you talk about that? What that was like in... And why you made that episode about listening well, to vinyl. That, I made that episode because I I was referencing something that I remembered as a kid. Uh, I'm not sure what year Let It Be came out. Is that 69? No, Let It Be was 1970. Okay, 70. So I was, I don't know, uh, eight years old or something. And that, I remember my sister, three years older than me, came running down from our neighbor's house and she had her, her girlfriend who was also older her girlfriend and na- another neighbor got the record and they came running down the hill holding it above their heads it's here it's here like we love the Beatles so much and I remember that I was a little younger than them but I still wanted to be cool we put the record on and it was absolutely a ritual and the, the, the cover art the the, the uh, liner notes reading the lyrics while it plays laying on the floor on cushions with our heads on cushions, just listening to this record. And then of course my sister was talking about all the, the interpretations, you know, if you play it backwards, you know, like this kind of stuff. It's magical. It is totally magical. And there is nothing that you can experience with streaming audio that compares to it. It's just not possible. Except and, maybe a live performance. And that's all. No, I'm saying like, streaming audio, period. I'm not oh, talking about. Audio, yeah. yeah, live performance, of course. I'm saying, but using Spotify and Apple Music, boy, we sound like two old people. But it's no, true. But you said younger people. It's not just. Well, us. I think that's why. Younger I think. People are into it. So that's I, a good sign. I know. And I think it's because they capture that magic that they can't experience any other way. And I think that's why it's a big thing. I don't think it's like. A trendy, I think people are doing it, are seeking out these experiences that cannot be experienced in this streaming world. Right. Because it's not just nostalgia because they never had it the first time. Exactly. And it's the ritual. It's the the forcing, being forced to slow down. Yes. 
And if, if there's something go on, like if you're on your phone and there's another song playing in the background and there's a TV on and like, you're not focusing. And it, it, I'm actually very encouraged that there are still so many incredible readers out there. Well, that's what I was thinking about bookworms. As you're saying this, I'm like, this experience of going online and buying bookworms and have it come in your mail. That's one thing I know when I get something I'm expecting in a mailbox, that is exciting for me and not a bill, obviously, but right. <laughs> you, you know that something comes. And it's not just an Amazon package. Let's be honest. It's something yeah. a little different. And you're getting this thing in the mail. That's the first magical moment. Then you take it in and you're sitting with it. Maybe you have a cup of coffee and you're going through it and you're experiencing this thing that is also limited, right? right. You are one of very few people who will experience this issue of bookworms. In this time and place, <laughs> right? And or you to pass me, it down to your... <laughs> that's, it's important. It's really... It is so important. It is, well, that's why, we, that's why we're doing it. We, well, that was the, yeah, that was the spark, was to say... That was the spark, yeah. You know, bringing that back and having that experience, I think is, I think... There's a level above what the actual magazine is mm-hmm. that makes people love it. I mean, we, and I'm not trying to toot our horn here, but when we look at our, our ratings on Etsy, it's, it's, yeah, we've got good it's love, love, love. Well, they love us. <laughs> I sound love like us. Sally Field now. You well, love- they love us. Well, I also think uh, Charlie's, Charlie's uh, artwork brings a lot to that too because he's he's from he's only in his early 40s but he's from that generation of zines from when he was a kid and and uh also band flyers like his artwork's really coming from that kind of place and there's a a fun quality to it it's very handmade well, we talked a lot about everything, pants and pantsers, yeah. and I think your homework for this week is to think of a short story, pants a short story, and then plot a short story. And again, it could be a 1,000 word. Like, if it's 1,000 words, think that's like 200 words per A, B, D, C, E, right? I'm going to try that. Yeah. Give it a try and, it. and see what works for you, and then even do a third option Uh, do a little plotting and pantsing together. Today's episode is on December 7th. A date which will live in infamy. Ha ha. (laughs) That was good. Thank you. Yeah, it was my, uh, I planned that whole thing. By the way, there's other sounds. Tell me if you can guess what this is. Oh gosh. Okay. Uh, tril- a trilogy of tales. Yes! Wow! Good! You should get a prize for that. Uh, yeah. I think I have another one. That scared me. How do you think they made that sound? I think they recorded somebody doing it and sped it up, I guess. I don't know, but I, you do know I have like goosebumps. Goosebumps. From listening to that, it scared me. That was scared. Now, that is a great. Actually, for sh- good short stories, mm. look at that as a short story. Now, if you're going to read the short story, it's called Prey by Richard Matheson. Um, and it's just as good as the Trilogy of Terror episode. So, all right. Well, wow. let's uh, close shop That's and we'll be back next call. week. Check out all the links in the show notes and follow me on my newsletter and then go to the Regina's Haunted Library, especially if you want to know your horoscopes. Matilda does that every month, right? Yep. Yeah. Oh, they're accurate. They're scaringly yep. accurate. <laughs> that's what I've heard. <laughs> All right. That's it. Till next time. Bye bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Bookworms Horror Podcast. All our links are in the show notes. We'll be back next week with a new episode.